And we're back. I'm Gravier Brom here with Jamakar Sandu, and we are screen off script. This week, we're getting into the Banshees of Insurin and reflecting on all the major movie and TV news of the week. It's me, Austin! Oh, son of a bitch! What? It's me, Austin! It was me all along, Austin! All right, in our first segment, we're going to be skipping around a little bit. We got some news, we got a review for Banshees, but we also got a bunch of other relevant stuff that's happening right now mm-hmm. uh, first thing I kind of want to talk about John, and you know obviously we've talked about pro wrestling a lot uh, usually we talk about you know a build up to a pay per view or the fallout out of a major show or something like that but obviously uh, if anybody's been following pro wrestling for the past like couple of days it feels like uh, the whole world is collapsing mm-hmm. <laughs> right mm-hmm. like everything has been changing we went from being in the quote unquote like Triple H era to Vince McMahon re-entering the scene and in a nutshell reintroducing himself as the chairman of the board of the WWE with the intention that he's going to be selling the company and Stephanie McMahon is out she's no longer co-CEO Nick Khan is now the sole CEO of the WWE as of this recording Triple H is still the chief content officer of the WWE and there's been wild speculation that the WWE was sold to Saudi Arabia and their public fund and uh, it's been a lot. Like, that's just like the tip of the iceberg. But mm. I, I think that's like a little bit of a concise idea of what's been going on. What the hell? Yeah, you, you, you nailed it. That Those are all the major talking points when it comes to the world of WWE. And it's kind of, everything's kind of been thrown at us at breakneck speed. Yeah. So much has happened in such a short amount of time. Exactly. It's been like a week and a half. Right. In the new year. And all of this has been happening. It's crazy. I'll say this much about the WWE. It's been a good eight months for them perceptually content it hasn't even been a brand it's been like five months since triple h took over yeah has only been five months yeah that was like his first show was clash of the castle technically which is right after SummerSlam, which is august right right? like that that's crazy damn i thought it was longer okay well it's been five months right so let's just say half a year and perceptually content i think everything around wwe for the most part has been good has been positive has been on the up yeah. I've certainly enjoyed the product um, a, a lot more. Big time. And now all of a sudden it feels like a lot of that goodwill that the WWE had kind of garnered for itself has very quickly decimated. Gone. Right? And everyone started to worry about the future of the WWE and you know what direction they're going to be heading in, whether it's from a business point of view, whether it's from a creative point of view. And you know Vince McMahon retiring... And coming back in such a short amount of time, it's almost like every other typical combat sports pro wrestling retirement. Yeah. <laughs> it's never a real retirement. How many times did the Undertaker come back? How many times have you know MMA fighters retired and come back? So it's kind of like okay, cool. It's par for the course that you know Vince McMahon retired and, and came back, and I guess he's come back at a time it's so critical and pivotal for the WWE. And why is that? It's because the the rights to broadcasts it shows the the live rights the broadcast rights are coming up in the US which yeah. is where they make the vast majority of their money from rights fees and you know there's been some shake up of not just Vince McMahon coming back but you know there's board members leaving board members returning yeah. you know I think a lot of people in the industry especially from what I've seen um, really liked Stephanie McMahon from a behind the scenes perspective mm-hmm. so to kind of see her go is a major blow and I feel like Triple H has shown now consistently both in NXT but also now with WWE that people like what he can do creatively yeah it, it, it's kind of crazy because it it's on one part like the optics of losing Stephanie and then also the rumor like pairing that with the rumor that they're selling the company to the Saudi Arabia investment fund that doesn't look the best obviously also like you know not to kind of glance over but like Vince McMahon was like coming off all these sexual assault allegations and now he's being brought back and again the rumor is that they're selling to Saudi so that the company can be taken private again they can do whatever they want right and like you mentioned it's it's all during this time when they want to do a sale but they also are about to do a TV rights deal and this is all coming off the idea that, again, even to speculate on the whole Saudi stuff as well, is like they just bought Live Golf and they can't even get a TV deal for that. They apparently would have to pay to be on TV because of that. WWE's whole business structure for the past decade plus has been how much money they've been making off these TV deals. Mm-hmm. So if there's not going to be a company that wants to like ride with these uh, this investment fund to like put on their product what's actually going to happen here there's so much speculation it's kind of crazy because 
obviously it's been kind of not disproven but like it's been denied that this sale is even happening with the saudis and like with all of this kind of happening it's like uh well this is all just speculation now and it all feels kind of like uh it's all in a weird place we don't know what the hell's gonna happen and that's what it is right now it's pure rumor innuendo and speculation yeah right and And it's chaos right that's the kind of the weird thing is because how much can you be definitive about anything you're talking about Twitter Twitter was a firestorm Twitter was an absolute firestorm and I think initial reports on Twitter were deleted and but by then the kind of train had left the station yeah exactly people were making you know content out of it and then regurgitating it and uh, it was a big a big mess yeah Um, but then then a part of me feels like oh there's no smoke without fire yeah exactly and and, and I feel like this is going to be one of those stories where we're going to have to touch on it every single week until we finally get to that resolution of what is actually going on like i feel like one week from now when we record next week's episode there's gonna be so much more that comes out of this i feel like this is just the start of a maybe arguably the biggest story actually easily the biggest like pro wrestling story of the year but one of the biggest like if the WWE actually gets sold regardless of who the buyer is it's a seismic shift and change in how everything changes for the industry yeah a hundred percent the fact that Vince is back he really it feels like Palpatine this time you know what I mean he does not feel like a good dude coming back and like saving the company or like it doesn't feel like he has the company's best interest in mind because the fans are happy right now you know what I mean as a consumer we've been very happy and for him to come back and just like kind of insert himself it it feels like the WWE is in the worst place it's been since all this stuff has happened what's crazy is kind of like the quote from I guess the press release or the statement that Vince made bearing in mind people have to remember he has 80% of the controlling shares and the controlling voting power when it comes to approving anything in the WWE so the buck eventually stops with him but the kind of takeaway line was you know he would and I'm paraphrasing here but he essentially said he wouldn't approve a sale of the company or he wouldn't allow it to go through without his say so yeah right so like that tells you basically everything you need to know exactly. it's like it's my way or the highway exactly this is the board basically unanimously decided like we don't want this dude back and then all of a sudden now it's like all right cool he's back yeah and it's like well we're all gonna just act like we're normal about like no that's this is like a weird thing and there's so many weird ramifications of what could happen i kind of just want to talk about that yeah because even from okay from a purely wwe perspective mm-hmm. of storylines okay one thought I kept having is like everybody talks about like the idea that Sammy doesn't really partake in these Saudi Arabia shows like right. politically he's against all this kind of stuff right so he is a pretty main focus of the biggest storyline going on right now in the WWE what happens if he leaves right what happens to your biggest star being Roman Reigns what happens to him where the part of his act that's been the most interesting thing for the past year essentially goes away all of a sudden without any explanation mm. Isn't that the most awkward thing that could happen to your character? Yeah, 100%. Absolutely. And I was kind of thinking about it in this kind of way. I think everyone can agree that if you're looking at two sides of the equation, on one side, who is the absolute both perceptually, from a storyline perspective, from an industry, media, fan base perspective, what's the absolute worst suitor of all the list of potential buyers for the WWE, we can all agree it's this Saudi Arabia public fund. On the flip side, what would you say is the best suitor? What is the best home? Because that's what's going to happen now. It's like, okay, cool. So the initial report of Saudi Arabia buying it, it's nothing more than a rumor. It's not a definitive fact Mm -hmm. at this stage. So in that case, everyone's in play once again, or I guess they're still trying to figure out. They hired JP Morgan to help with the, the process of the sale. In your opinion, who is the best home for okay. WWE? Can I be honest? The, the the thing that I've been thinking about more so at the end of the day, like I don't I don't care what company buys this thing, right? Like who the hell who really cares? At the end of the day, the weird thing I keep thinking is that it's a weird feeling for the WWE going forward because people grew up as WWE fans, right? Like they grew up like you know Vince is problematic, but they grew up with this idea that they would be working for Vince McMahon at some point, or maybe like more recently they they'd be working for Triple H, yeah, right. But none of them really dreamed of being a wrestler that works for the WWE that's presented by the Saudi Arabia Public Investment Fund. But well, isn't that that's that's the whole point of why it matters that who who buys the well, WWE? That's what, that, what what I mean is more so like that's going to change regardless. Like no matter what happens going forward, I think uh, this is like a seismic change in the industry where I don't know if there is. Uh, this isn't doesn't feel like the NBA or something like that where like people just want to play for the NBA. 
right? This is the biggest league in the world, blah, blah, blah. At the end of the day, WWE is like, it's part. It's still pro wrestling at the end of the day. Like, I don't know if the letters WWE, are are they infallible where they just are going to be the biggest thing no matter what? Or does that mean like this is a complete shift? If like, let's say Triple H left and there's still WWE, is that still the WWE? I think there would be a shift because, and that's why I feel like depending on who buys WWE, if they eventually, you know, in fact do sell, that's that's going to have a major impact on A, who currently still wants to work there mm-hmm. and who wants to leave. Number two, who in the future has aspirations of working there. Yeah. Number three, who has aspirations to continue watching the product. I've already spoken to some big members of the media right now that currently cover the WWE. And they basically told me, I will stop working and covering and pr- producing content WWE related if they were to get sold to Saudi Arabia Public Investment Fund. Yeah. That tells you, that's why I'm saying, like, it matters. Well, that's what I mean, though. Like, I I agree. Like, we're on the same side. But, like, what I'm trying to say is, like, you know what I mean? That leverage of, like, the whatever the brand is representative of, like, people growing up wanting, aspiring to be a part of this thing, right? Like, I don't see that's the same thing. I I don't think, if they lose Triple H, like, genuinely, I think he's the last part of this puzzle that's, like, kind of keeping it all together. I disagree. I feel like if, let's just say, for example, Disney buys WWE or Comcast buys WWE, and let's just say Vince is back in control, you, how many guys and girls have aspired to work for WWE during the Vince era for the last 15 years? There's been tons. There's still going to be tons. I agree, but the there's a real distinction of being, like, an artist and a commodity. And pro wrestling's like this weird art form where that's tested, right, on a very practical level. Like the idea of being an artist and being an athlete where you work for like a sports organization, they're very different. Mm. And WWE is like the only place where you're actually making a decision that's very conflicting. And both of those things are questioned. Um, if Roman Reigns were to be like, all right, cool, I'm just going to stick with WWE. Duh. That makes all the sense in the world. He probably views the WWE from like an athlete's perspective. But like, let's say Kenny Omega. That guy is not viewing pro wrestling as anything more than an art form. He is an artist at the end of the day. Like, that's how I very much feel it. But I can't imagine that, like, there's going to be people who grow up and watch pro wrestling. If, is WWE going to be the brand that's purely just athletes turned wrestlers? Maybe. And maybe that's good for them. And, and honestly, if you look at the ratings, they're still getting more viewership right now, more eyeballs. Yeah. Right? So it's hard to kind of, like, future predict in five, ten years. Like, I've been saying the same thing for WWE for years. It's the Disney model. It's the con- constant conveyor belt of kids that aren't adults yet and it's on you know mainstay tv and this is before aw became a thing now maybe that changes over the next 10 years and kids growing up are like oh you know what i prefer or i enjoy aw more so than i do wwe right but when i was a kid i didn't really understand the artistic background of any of what the wrestlers were doing Mm -hmm. i was just like oh is this real or is this fake right you don't understand these nuances until you become an adult and you understand you know what pro wrestling is so but what i what i I mean is like yo at the end of the day like let's say somebody like adam cole right that guy very much grew up wanting to be in the WWE. yeah right very much so because there was an alternative yeah but very much also because like he grew up with this stuff right like it means something to him to be part of the WWE. and i'm sure if like triple h was running stuff before he would have signed with them for like five years or whatever right but the fact that he's with AEW now and like would he even have aspirations to go back to WWE? like let's say if triple h doesn't stick around so really what i'm really making a distinction of is do you think Triple H sticks around if Vince McMahon gets to take control of all this stuff all over again? That's the, I guess, pivotal question of all of this. I don't know. I don't know. It's a very hard question to answer right now because Triple H has basically undone a lot of what Vince McMahon did. Like, he's brought back guys that Vince McMahon let go. That's what I mean, right? too, right? Like, the whole direction that WWE was going in for the past couple of years, which was, like, what fans were, like, complaining about right like that was the sentiment just complaining yeah but when triple h kind of took over he pivoted a lot of that stuff where it kind of felt like oh this is like a fun show again i can watch this and he was the one that was kind of the director of all this stuff if we're going back to this vince model i don't know if i want to be on that ride and i don't think a lot of people are going to want to be on that ride yeah if i had to make a prediction right now i think vince coming back he's always been he's always loved being in gorilla and being in creative control we all know this and i do feel like him coming back at some point down the road he does get back into that position of being head of creative control and i don't really know where that leaves triple h yeah uh, to be honest with you i I think it's going to be difficult to let go of all the goodwill triple h has done and i personally wouldn't 
blame a lot of people from just switching off WWE altogether if we're just going to go back to what we got before. I think, you know, here's the thing. They're always going to have a steady and stable fan base. Again, I'm, I'm saying this if it's not going to be Saudi Arabia. Again, like Triple H, like you said, only been five months. Prior to that, they were hunky-dory still. We may not like the product, right? Thank God for AEW to come around. But that doesn't mean they still don't have millions of people out there families kids that continuously watch the product week in week out the numbers don't lie yeah right so they're always gonna have like i said they're always gonna have a steady influx of people that watch the product yeah, yeah, yeah. that's never gonna go away unless of course saudi arabia buy it and then all of a sudden you have major networks that don't want to do business with saudi arabia then it's like all right where are you finding this that's the big question yeah i, I really think it's like at the end of the day if wb is paying to be on tv at some point right I don't know what the hell they're doing anymore. You know what I mean? Like, I, I mean, maybe they have an idea. Like, I, I have no clue. Like, mm. like, like, we really don't know what the hell's going to happen in yeah. the next couple of months. But it just feels like I wish we got one Triple H Rumble, one Triple H WrestleMania, where we just could have seen what the hell would have happened. Because right now, it feels like regardless of what happens for these next, like, three months, even though it's the road to WrestleMania, it felt like there was so much good energy going to the next few months. And it just feels like a bummer. It feels like all the air got out of their sails yeah. and like I was so hyped with the even just the the rumor that was like, oh, we're going to see Gunther versus Brock Lesnar. Right. That is like a dream match that I would have never that that can't exist under Vince McMahon. I'll tell you that it does not feel like that will ever happen with Vince being a part of that company. Well, you know, the saying the proof is in the pudding. Yeah. It's only a matter of time before we find out Straight the up. answers to all of these questions. It's kind of crazy, right? Like the rumble is it's like very close and we're going to find out a lot. But now it feels like everything shifted in, in, a, in a negative way. And uh, instead of being excited for the meal we're about to get, I'm very hesitant walking in this time. Yeah, I'll say this much. Like the, the Twitter firestorm has definitely kind of like left everyone just feeling a little bit down. Uh, about WWE, which yeah. is why I'm curious to see what we have to talk about a week from now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, because this is going to be a developing story. Absolutely. There's going to be so many other things that are going to happen in the days and the weeks at a pivotal time. This is this story is not going away anywhere straight anytime up. soon. Yep, straight up. Let's uh, let's see what happens, man. Because like, this is going to be chaos, and this is only like a week and a half into the new year. So let's see what the hell 2023 has got in store for us. But yeah, something else that happened this weekend was the Golden Globes. And I thought that was a fun way to kind of kick off everything that's been going on in the news lately. A few big winners. Best Motion Picture Drama, The Fablemans. Best Motion Picture Musical or Comedy was The Banshees of Insurance, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. Best Director, Steven Spielberg. Best Screenplay, Banshees of Insurance. Uh, best Actor, Austin Butler. Best Actress, uh, Kate Blanchett. And uh, yeah, I think those were like the big winners. But I kind of just want to get your thoughts. Like you actually watched the entire show. I, I did. Got, I got the highlights. Okay. So I kind of want to see what what did you think? What were your takeaways? Okay. So number one, super happy for everything, everywhere, all at once. Mm-hmm. Um, getting a couple of awards. Fantastic. Yeah. Literally. That, yeah. yeah. Acceptance speech with Kihu Kwan. That, that was just like every time he has an acceptance speech it's like always like a viral moment but yeah. like, it always uh, leaves me with such a good feeling because like everyone is just celebrating how happy this dude is yeah. I love that even Michelle Yao's was a great acceptance it speech was, yeah, it really yeah. was right and, and I will always support everything everywhere all at once it's still my favorite going into the Oscar season yep. and uh, it's just like it's representative of like the stories that people can tell beyond just talking about your ethnicity what's good about for minorities the movie picking up the awards it did at the Golden Globes is it finally checked the box of what we were talking about six, seven months ago. Mm-hmm. Will it get some momentum during award season? Well, it's done now. It's happening. They're, they're picking up awards. Now let's see how many awards they can actually pick up on this run over the next couple of months. I'm going to actually, if they win Best Picture, I'm going to have a genuine pop. Like I will <laughs> yeah. jump out of my seat right. excited for if that were to happen. Right. I'm also, even just a side note, Kihu Kwan also mentioned that he would do a uh, short round spinoff series. He said, if Disney or Lucasfilm ever come to me and say, we want to do a short round spinoff, I'm their man. I love that character so much. And I would just, it would just be incredible to revisit it as an Indiana Jones fan. I was just curious to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, that'd be fun. Like, you know, maybe they could have like, I don't know, um, him almost do the kind of that narrator flashback kind of stuff and have a young kid actually portray a younger version of short round. Uh, They kind of have already talked about doing a younger Indiana Jones, which they did a series in the 90s. And I think they probably are going to lean towards doing that kind of they're going to go down that path with the IP. Like, I don't see us getting any more Indiana Jones movies post 
the fifth one, but I do see a series coming to Disney Plus. I think that's a fun spinoff series. I think yeah. that'd be a really cool vehicle as well for Ki Hu Kwan. Yeah. That'd be awesome to see him. Yeah. But anyway, carrying on. I thought all of the winners were very much deserved. Like there wasn't anyone that won an award where I'm like, ah oh, man, I thought so and so was gonna win, or I thought so and so would win. Literally the only category that I didn't really have a say in in terms of, of an opinion was Kate Blanchett winning for Tar because it's like the one mo- it's like the one movie that I haven't seen yet. Like that the the, the major movie Same. that's kind of getting a lot of acclaim that's kind of on my list to watch. So like I'm sure it's a fantastic performance, but I can't really weigh in on that. Yeah. In terms of the awards, happy with everybody that won. Also, uh, uh, on a side note, Mike White and Jennifer Coolidge winning for uh, White Lotus. Mm. I haven't seen White Lotus yet. Yeah. But just their acceptance speeches and seeing the emotion that came out of that, I absolutely love that. Especially like with all the work Mike White has put in and like. If if you see that guy on stage crying about like being so happy for this moment, that's the guy in like uh, Zombieland right. who gets like killed by a zombie after like a second of being in the movie, or School of Rock being the guy's best friend or whatever. Like he finally gets to live this moment. Same thing with Jennifer Coolidge talking about the idea of like having uh, just these roles that kind of just kept her going yeah. until she finally got this role. I love that. My wife is a big fan of The White Lotus, mm-hmm. and she told me that it was very much deserved. I'm very much gonna watch that show. Yeah, that's my uh, that's next on my list for sure. Right. Um, so yeah. So in terms of like again, like I said, who won, who didn't win, I thought everything was pretty much on point. The one thing that I didn't enjoy, and it's a constant reminder, is some of the acceptance speeches, the music kicking in. I was like, you are killing me right now. Yeah. Like it's like it's a rude. It's like I, I get they have a time frame, but figure it out. They got like, if they're gonna do some like you know online only awards earlier in the day just to kind of like knock knock them off the thing like i saw something earlier on today actually about the sag awards coming to netflix in a couple of years so netflix has won the rights or bought the rights to air the sag awards which i actually think is perfect and i would love to see these award ceremonies actually move to streaming platforms because there's no like uh, time limitation mm-hmm. right then you don't have to worry about commercial breaks and coming off the air at certain times so the 11 30 news can play on the east coast right it's like you need to give the people that win these awards a solid amount of time especially when it's like right in the middle of an emotional moment yeah and then the piano or the or the violin or something i'm like it's so rude and it takes away from the moment and like there were so many times that ha- there were a few speeches that got the time and i don't know how they're picking and choosing who they give time to and not but like the ones they gave time to kind of really like oh that's a moment and then there were times where they didn't give the winner the time and the music starts playing and i'm like oh man you just ruined the moment yeah, yeah. you ruined the moment for me as a viewer you ruined the moment for the person accepting the award michelle yao being one of them who had to almost battle and fight through it yeah until they actually stopped playing the music that was actually kind of wild yeah, yeah she yeah. said you better stop they kept on playing the music and 30 more seconds into a speech while she was still going on they finally stopped the music yeah, yeah which yeah. is kind of like they just acknowledge like yo we're being idiots right now yeah yeah, yeah. it's i agree it's it's it, that they do have to figure this out because yeah. that's something in general for award shows that like is annoying but on top of that, it ruins what I would hope the spirit of the award is supposed to be. Mm. If the idea is you're celebrating this person for their achievement, why are you giving them one minute of time yeah. to like celebrate that? It's so stupid. Like you guys got to figure this shit out because it yeah. doesn't work. And it's not just the Globes; it's, it's everyone. But look, here it is: Golden Globes are the first big award show out the gate every single year. Mm. So they're the first one we're judging on this, and hopefully others start to pay a bit more attention to this kind of stuff. Yeah. So that's everything on the actual awards and, and and what have you. There's two other things that I wanted to talk about and just kind of express some opinion on. Sure. One was Eddie Murphy's acceptance speech, which I thought was just fan. Fantastic! It was just, we, it's on our social media feeds if anyone hasn't watched it, but it's a real kind of study. And if you kind of go back and if you've missed it, a go watch it. B go back and rewatch it because it's a fantastic study in how he sets up the punchline. Mm. He used the entire acceptance speech to set up the the Will Smith punchline, right? Yeah. And it's almost like he's kind of like underselling the award he's kind of like kind of going through the motions he's talking very softly very quietly he's kind of drawing you in and drawing you in and drawing you in yeah he did the jake the snake thing it's it's <laughs> so it, and i was i said to myself there is a master at what to achieve success prosperity longevity and peace of mind it's a blueprint 
and I followed it my whole career. It's very simple. There's three things you just do. These three things. Pay your taxes. <laughs> mind your business. And keep Will Smith's wife's name. Mouth! And someone uh, that I know appreciates uh, a good comedian and stand-up. I just wanted to kind of first, we'll get your take on that whole thing. Yeah, I love it. I've, every time we get to see Eddie Murphy do anything these days is like great for me. Yeah. I love that dude. Like yeah. I've watched his stand-up growing up, but more times than I can count, right? Like that guy is genuinely one of the greatest stand-ups of all time. Yeah. And one of the funniest people that's ever existed. Like mm-hmm. that alone, I'm glad that he gets his flowers these days. And uh, one thing also is it made me really excited for his upcoming movie, You People, mm-hmm. with Jonah Hill. I- I'm so excited to see how that movie comes out because I'm still waiting for that movie that like gives Eddie his like real flowers this right, time. Right, right. You know what I mean? He hasn't got like his flowers flowers in a very long time and I want that guy to be appreciated for how good he is. That guy is just a master at like relatability. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like like the the way like Gerard Carmichael, like uh, I, I'm sure this is going to be your next point. It uh, is. Of Gerard, right? Yeah. But like the way Gerard is able to like take his time, live in the moment and like set something up and then just slap you with a joke that just comes out of absolutely nowhere. That is like Eddie Murphy's bag. You know what right. I mean? Like yeah. he was a master at that and being able to like let you kind of live in this moment with him and grow up with him. It, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And that's a great segue into kind of my final point. And it is the the host of this year's Golden Globes, Jared Carmichael. And uh, I wanted to get your take on this, but I'll kind of give you my thoughts initially yeah. and I want to get your take on it too. And I'm not just talking about his opening monologue. I'm talking about everything he did throughout the entire night. And I feel like, you know how we always celebrate Ricky Gervais's opening monologue and, and not just the one opening monologue from the Golden Globes, but all of his kind of award shows, um, kind of content uh, that he's been involved with. It's like he makes statements, but it's also so funny and it lands both with the audience in the room but also I feel like it lands with everyone online and people watching at home, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, it's just like, it's a perfect 10 across the board sure. with Gervais, right? And I'm not too familiar with Gerard Carmichael myself personally. Yeah, and yeah, I don't yeah. know if it's maybe, if this particular moment was a little bit too soon for him, but I feel like he made some really strong statements, which I respected and I really appreciated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there were moments where I felt like, oh, that was funny. And I felt, oh, that was a good zinger, right? But I felt like there was way more of... I felt awkward for him. Mm-hmm. I felt awkward for the room. I felt like there was a bit of disattachment from from like the the comedic side of things. Sure. And if that was his intention, is just to kind of make sure he made his statement. And if, if things land and things are funny, cool, then he definitely did his job there. And here's the thing about the HPFA and the Golden Globes. They are still very much in a transitionary period. They still have a lot of work to do, right? To kind of get people back on side. Like I've already seen that, you know, this is like the second lowest rated Golden Globes in NBC history. Listen, every show was going to be the lowest rated because like that's just TV. You know what I mean? Like every time people talk about it. But also NBC didn't do them any favors by putting it on Tuesday night. Yeah. So that tells you what NBC feels about the Golden Globes right now. That's Mm -hmm. why they have so much work to do. And who knows if they're going to be airing on a major network work in the future but in general i just thought you know what i would have loved to have seen what maybe a more a veteran comedian would have done with this situation uh and yeah those are my kind of thoughts on jared carmichael as a, as a host that's so funny because i have like almost the exact i knew you would because, I knew you because would. like the end of the day like sure. i'm watching gerard like a comedy nerd sure, i'm sure, watching sure. this dude be a master because i've been watching him since like his very early beginnings on like any social media uh, of being like like a comedian right like i remember clips on youtube where he would just be at the laugh factory or the comedy store and just bring up fat lip from the far side and like have this hilarious moment um that was like very raw right like gerard's always been like this comic who he'll sit in these awkward moments Mm -hmm. he'll sit for way too long right to the point where you're sitting and watching a special and there's silence for minutes he does not care right and it's one thing i really admire of his and uh it's the same thing like what you know you like a lot of people give like dave Chappelle a lot of credit is like he'll just talk Mm -hmm. and then he'll eventually come around and get you to the joke that he wants to get you to yeah and that's what he did like what gerard did is like He'd make you very uncomfortable on purpose. Talk about real stuff that's happening and like address all of like the the representation issues that were happening with HuffPaw or whatever. And for them to let him kind of not even like let him, but like 
for him to be able to just do his thing on stage, I thought was like a massively tremendous introduction to his brand mm. to people. Mm-hmm. Because I think what's going to happen is there's going to be a lot of people that kind of get like, all right, cool. That was like really weird. But slowly, like they're going to now get to know him. Mm. I feel like he hasn't got his like opportunities to let everybody kind of get him yet. That's the thing with comedy. You got to like understand what this guy is really going for before like he's able to land in that same way. It's, it, and it's hard because he's such a demanding comedian. He demands so much of your attention. Yeah. That when he, when you do like kind of make that connection, it's an amazing connection to make. Time will tell if that actually comes to fruition. If in like 10 years time, we're looking back at this being a moment mm-hmm. that kind of really changed, you know, his career and like perceptually how people think of him. What's interesting is that the Golden Globes and, and HuffPer chose, in my opinion, the youngest and, and least known comic stand-up comedian that they've ever gone with. Like, if you think about everybody else that's been the host of the awards, they've already been well-known commodities. Like, we know who these people are going in yeah. for the show. I was, and I'm sure a lot of people, I, I, I guess I represent the majority of people that weren't really familiar with him too much. Absolutely. Right? And that's maybe why maybe someone like me is like, all right, cool. That was funny. That was funny. Oh, that was a bit awkward. I don't I don't really know about but that. That's but, the thing. In, like, in a year or two, like, I'm sure, if let's say he hosts again next year, right. or he gets to host a couple years in in a row yeah like if he gets to do something like that i think by a few years people are gonna be like okay cool i know what i'm getting into right this is like his brand right at the end of the day but i, I think more so what people are gonna get from somebody like him is he is the like the t- quote-unquote like a tastemaker's comic mm-hmm. you know what i mean like he's the kind of guy that like if you watch a lot of comedy you can be like oh that guy's doing something different yeah right that guy's just approaching this thing completely different if you watch one of his specials they are not like all right, cool. Like, how many laughs per minute am I getting? Like, mm. he doesn't care that you're going to sit in an awkward patch. He'll talk about the most personal things you could possibly ever talk about, right? I don't even want to spoil some of his specials because they are like him confessing to, to people. And he, he's having these thoughts in real time, it feels like sometimes. But more so, like, he's having these conversations, these discussions with us that are, like, very real and, like, uh, touching. That And... You, you almost have to like sit with him and like deal with it as he's dealing with it. And like that's kind of what I got with this with this stand up set, mm-hmm. right? You got like 10 minutes to kind of sit with this dude and like see the struggle of like, should I be the guy that is representative of what HuffPaw is dealing with? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, am I going to be the guy that has to be the representative of blackness for the Golden Globes, right? They're problematic and they've been dealing with like all these uh, negative practices and all that kind of stuff, but. I'm going to be the guy that they want to repair that. And you know what? I'm not going to be the guy to repair that. I'm going to be the one that shines more of a light on that. Mm-hmm. I think that's a pretty dope thing to do. Like I said, I respected the yeah. statement. Yeah, I, yeah. Res- I, I loved what he had to say because like you said, he put, a, he put a bigger spotlight on it than anybody else has ever done, especially in the last couple of years because he's the host, yeah. right? Question. Does he host the Golden Globes ever again? Yes or no? If you had to make a prediction right now. Yeah, 100%. I, 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 if it was me, I would do it. Um, but do you think they will do it? I think they will. Okay. I, I really think they okay. will, especially if they're going to have like similar people producing that show. I think with time, he's only going to get better, okay. number one. But number two, I think people are going to start to understand him a little bit better. Mm. A question I got is, what do you think is a more difficult thing to do as a stand-up? What he did or what Ricky Gervais does? I think with all things considered, it's what he did this year. Mm-hmm. Because of what the Globes and Huffpa have been through over the last couple of years. Yeah. And again, it goes back to what I was saying earlier on. Ricky Gervais has already been making fun of and putting a spotlight on basically anything and everything he wants to during his entire stand-up career. That's what he's made his whole kind of like career out of, yeah. right? Like like Ricky, I think those are amazing sets. I've watched yeah. them again and again, yeah. right? But at the end of the day, like I also recognize the difference of difficulty of yeah. what he's doing versus of like course. what Gerard's doing. Gerard is like swinging way harder than than what Ricky's swinging for. Sure. And again, this may just come down to like and again, they're different flavors. It come, may just come down to what you like and what your preference is, what your taste is. But if you're saying to me, you know, ideal, perfect world, who would you love to see host next year's awards? Ricky Gervais or Jared Carmichael? I want Ricky Gervais back. 
And that's just my personal. Taste. I feel you. I feel you. I feel you. I only want Gerard because, like, I know I I want to invest in this dude. Like, sure. I want to see where this guy is in five, ten years. And I would love to see Ricky Gervais make a comeback yeah. after all these years, yeah, yeah. right? To to add some commentary from his perspective yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. his sense of comedy. A hundred percent. Um, actually, let's hit just a few news items I got before we get into Banshees, only because I want to see just your thoughts on some other chaotic things that have been happening in Hollywood. Mm. I don't know if you've been hearing about. Francis Ford Coppola, but apparently on the production of Megalopolis, it's been absolute madness. Uh, Apparently Coppola fired his entire visual effects team with the production designer and art director resigning. It's unknown if the production can go forward. Apparently he tried to use virtual production technology, but the approach was too costly, so they're pivoting to green screen. He's been self-financing $120 million, but the budget is expected to increase even more after that. All like the chaotic stuff that's been happening. This thing's been like, it feels like a little bit under the radar. But like, how crazy is that? That's crazy for one main reason for me personally. is As good as a filmmaker as Francis Ford Coppola is, he has never been the one that's been on the bleeding edge of groundbreaking visual technology when it comes to green screen work or special effects. He's not like a Cameron, right? So the fact that at this stage of his career, this is so heavily involved in this movie and the budget has ballooned to what you just said it's ballooned to is crazy to hear that and I just feel like by the time we get to the the final look of what this movie is it's just gonna look like a hot mess yeah honestly like uh, I was excited for it because it does have a great cast Mm. but it's gonna be interesting to see how he kind of goes for this because this was kind of his swing into like that big budget world right you know what I mean to see what which he, is not his norm that's exactly. not his track record that's not him yeah and, and to see like what he would have done it's also gonna be interesting considering like what we've seen more recently like this isn't like a uh, known property or something like that is this gonna make that much money also I've never heard of a movie that's already in production fire an entire visual effects team yeah. and everybody else that you mentioned there yeah for someone else to come in fresh yeah. and pick up the baton and kind of like figure out artistically, but also from a technical point of view, what they're supposed to be doing, that's incredibly difficult. Wild stuff. But yeah, let's get into uh, the movie that we're going to be talking about this week, the winner of three Golden Globe Awards, The Banshees of Insurance. Why aren't you talking to Parag no more? Colin? That wouldn't be a sin now, would it, Father? No, but it's not very nice either. From writer-director Martin McDonough. <laughs> Banshees is hilariously dark. Why does he not want to be friends with you no more? Why is he 12? Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson are one of the all-time great on-screen pairings. There's two of us in this. No, there isn't. It takes two to tangle. I don't want to tangle. They danced with your dog. So I'm very excited to talk about this movie, Mm -hmm. but I feel like it's going to be hilarious because that whole conversation that we just had about Gerard Carmichael, the idea of like art and commodities and all this kind of stuff, I feel like it's going to be flipped. I'm so curious to see how our opinions differ on this oh, movie. okay. Because I feel like we're not going to have the same idea on this Okay, one. all right, cool. Well, first off, I'm, I'm just curious to see. What, what were your thoughts, kind of like, what were your biggest takeaways of Banshee's Adventure? Okay, well, here's the first thing I'll say. I love January uh, as a month to watch movies because although there isn't, like, too much, you know, really meaty to kind of get invested for, get excited for at the theatre, it's the time of year where I'm able to be like, all right, cool, I missed this, I missed that. In the last 12 months, I now need to kind of, you know, carve out some time to watch this, right? Like I said, I still need to see Tar. Now, with Banshees of Insurance, it kind of worked out perfectly, right? Because it had a a run in the theatre, and I think you still watch it in some uh, cineplexes. But it's available to watch right now. Everyone can watch it. It's on Disney+. Plus. Perfect. And kind of going in, I thought to myself, well, I was a massive fan of In Bruges. And I don't know if anyone out there has watched In Bruges. It's freaking incredible. Mm -hmm. So funny. I loved it. And I had zero knowledge about story, what this movie was about. Me too. Outside of just, it's getting buzz. Yeah, I yeah. knew that it's getting, I, I knew that it's got some buzz coming into award season. A lot of people talking about performances and everything like that. And I thought to myself, all right, cool. Let's give it, let's give it a shot and we can review it. Coming out, I was just like, I had a great time, man. I thought it was funny. I thought it was heartwarming. I thought it was a, an interesting story. I thought it was like just something that you don't get too often in, in a movie. And it was so bizarre and different and unique. But on the other side of this whole experience of watching it, I thought it was a fantastic movie. Mm -hmm. I really did. It's funny because while I'm watching this movie, I just kept thinking like, this whole movie is about how this guy's a dumbass. Mm -hmm. The whole movie is about how Colin Farrell's character is a dumbass. Yeah. And I had a really hard time (laughs) wrapping my head around why I should give a fuck about why 
I should watch this movie about this guy being a dumbass, mm-hmm. right? Like, I know, like, I-, I can imagine why this movie is, like, relevant to a lot of people, but yeah. this is a really fucking weird movie to make, if I'm being completely honest. I have to say, Martin McDonough, who is uh, a British-Irish playwright, he has delivered such an interest again this is why it comes down to like this ain't the kind of norm experience of like the character arc and you know what these kind of people are going to go through yeah it's like it's so different and it's why i kind of appreciate it so much yeah and uh but martin mcdonough i think what he's done both writing and directing this movie is a case study of a relationship with between pr- primarily there's other things that happen in the movie but primarily it's about the relationship between two guys yeah two but friends, it's explored yeah. in so many different ways yeah and it's so different to what we would normally go through absolutely and it's funny because at the start of the movie i'm thinking like you know what all right this is cool like you never get to really see friendship explored in this way mm. right and like at the end of the day it's being told almost like in this like folktale kind of way right and also like in the the background of the war being there and like seeing how people kind of dealing with uh just like living in ireland at that time like it it felt like it captured a moment really well yeah right and like the idea of like dealing with your own personal issues and having this be in the background of everything yeah was like daunting but like i'm also realizing like this movie just didn't have anything that matched any of my sensibilities Mm -hmm. anything i like about movies like beyond uh, a few key things that i'll talk about i i just found that like none of it was appealing to like so or so much of it was just not appealing to what I like about movies. Can I just make a, a statement, but also kind of in that way ask a question? Sure. If you'd watch this at a theater during TIFF with that TIFF crowd, do you think your experience would have been different slash better than it would have been watching at home by yourself on Disney Plus? It's possible, mm. but I also realized in this movie that I do not like Irish music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Can I say that? Like that say just that. off top because like. When when I like that violin for me when I'm listening to that that's the worst sonic experience that I can have as a music fan. Right. I've been looking forward to a conversation like this because we haven't had opposing views. I think this extreme since Don't Look Up. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah right. Yeah, we, yeah. Were, we were on pole opposite <laughs> yeah. sides yeah, of, yeah, of the whole thing. Yo, okay, let's talk about like characters, okay? Yeah. Like Colin Farrell as uh Pedrick. Yeah. All right. For me, like, okay, the problem I have with this character is this guy's such a bad communicator to me. It almost feels like an after-school special sometimes. Right. Like, it feels like an after-school special about how to learn how to talk to other people. It's just it's just so corny of, like, how they're presenting the idea of how dumb this person is. That's hilarious that that's your take because it's a comedy movie. Right? And so, like, you, like, having an experience of, like... Comedy can be so varied in terms of, like, how an actor portrays a character and especially kind of, like, reading the words of a script, Right that's the whole point I, he's supposed to be like that I feel to you. set up the jokes I feel you he's dumb but like the, I'm saying like the execution doesn't work at all for me because it's like wow. he's so bad like in a way okay, like, like let's say for example like Forrest Gump right yeah Forrest Gump is like supposed to be like a, a like not a smart character mm. but at the end of the day the way the comedy is presented the way the movie kind of flows yeah I'm right on the ride with this dude mm-hmm. when we're watching the greatest beer run and Zac Efron is being presented as like this massive moron. Yeah. And we're watching this movie being like, oh, this guy's a massive moron. Why yeah. am I watching this? This is closer for me to that than Forrest Gump. Wow. So basically this comes down to how you are interpreting the execution. You did not enjoy the execution. I loved his execution. And I actually think that now looking back at 2022, what a fantastic year for Colin Farrell to not only be the Penguin in... Yeah. Uh, Batman, one of the best movies of the year. But the fact that he was able to also play Padraig in this British, Irish, like independent movie for the most part, that's freaking getting crazy flowers right yeah, now yeah. during award season. For sure. I'm just, and also, Congrats by the way, to back to the Globes, he also had one of the best speeches of the entire night. It was incredible. I'll say this much, like, and maybe this is kind of like my life experience compared to yours and why I was able to appreciate it a little bit more. I've been to Ireland. I have Irish friends. Like, I love everything about Ireland. Like, going to, like, Dublin and Belfast have been two of the, well, three of the best experiences of my entire life in terms of just being involved with the community and, you know, what they bring to the table in terms of a good time at a pub and a bar and all that kind of stuff, Mm -hmm. right? That all being put to one side, though, I just felt like it was such a smart script and and like I said, I've, kind of going back to In Bruges, this felt like 
almost like the unofficial sequel to In Bruges. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And again, like if I'm going to like put two movies together that have nothing to do with each other outside of like two or three of the people involved with the actual movie, I can't think of a better unofficial sequel and, and, and a double feature to watch together with In Bruges and now with Banshees of Inshirin. I thought it was brilliant. It's I had funny. such a good time. I'll, I'll say, okay, look, uh, what I enjoyed about this movie, cinematography, on point. Fantastic. Mm. Some of the comedy writing is very good stuff. But I also have a hard time, like, even just the idea of, like, I am so upset with this person. I am going to cut my hand off because I don't fuck with them that hard. Mm. Like, it's just hard for me to, like, care about these stakes because they're so stupid. And how is it, Siobhan, that you was never married? It's none of your fucking business how I was never fucking married. How isn't it? How isn't it? Was you never wild? Wild! One person, uh, the only person I liked in this movie is uh, Carrie Condon as mm. a sister. She might be the only per- part of this movie that I genuinely was like, oh, I, I like that character. Really? Okay. I actually liked all the performances from everyone across the board, and I have to give a big up to Barry Cohen as Dominic. I feel like he's almost like the unsung hero of this entire movie, and I feel like, again, with him, having that post-credit scene in Batman as kind of like the Joker, like he is, and obviously he was in the Eternals as well, he is someone to keep an eye on. Uh, I'm very curious where you kind of ended up, where, uh, where was the best character for you? Oh, it's Colin Farrell as Padraig. I just feel like him playing this buffoon, he played it so well yeah. that I just literally thought it was like one of his best performances in his entire career. That uh, good. I'm going with his sister. Um, what about best scene? For me, it was when Colm chops off the rest of his fingers and throws them at Padraig's door. Like the first one, you kind of expect is coming up because like Padraig's bothering him after he told him specifically not to. He cuts off the one digit. I'm like, cool. When he chops off all other digits and it's like he's got no fingers left on that one hand and just throws them at the door. like, oh shit. So it's kind of like a bit of like dark comedy as well. Like even like the, the brush strokes of comedy that they're playing with here is quite varied. I was like, damn, he actually did that. And like the next scene, you know, he's he's in the pub and he's kind of teaching all the, I guess, students how to play this like final song that he wrote. And he's there with like one hand that's got no digits left on it. If this other character is so dumb and you don't want to hang out with him because he's so dumb, how smart do you look that you have to explain for the rest of your life that you cut off all your fingers because your dumb friend wouldn't stop hanging out with you. That's how serious he was about making his point. How stupid is that? Again, that's part of the comedy, in my opinion. I loved it. Oh my god. There was something I was wanting to ask you, actually. And discovering how much we have in common, well, just makes me want to ask you even more. We don't have anything in common. Uh, Don't skip ahead. For me, best scene, it has to be when the sister is rejecting Dominic's advances and him asking her out. I thought that was a hilarious scene. Mm. And seeing, I, I thought that was his best scene as well. And just seeing the dynamic between them, I that's the most fun I had this entire movie. Mm-hmm. What about star rating wise? I'm so curious to see where you ended up with this. Zero being the worst, five being the best. Where do you give the Banshees of Injury? I gave it a 4.75. I thought it was one of Whoa. the best films I've seen of the last 12 months. Again, I'll give its props for cinematography. I'll give its props for some comedic writing. I genuinely cannot say I like this movie. I gave it a two stars. <laughs> but that's everything for Banshees of Injury. Uh, let's get into our last segment. Let's get wrecked. Our weekly recommendation segment. Jump, can you hit me with Sanders pick? I certainly can. So... Speaking of movies, like I said, that I, you know, skipped out for some reason or another, and I love January because I start to make a list of what I missed out on in the previous 12 months. I can't believe this fell completely under my radar. 13 Lives by Ron Howard. It's based on real life events that Howard, in my opinion, does an incredible job um, depicting the 2018 Tam Long cave rescue which kind of feels like it happened a million years ago at this stage, but it's only been literally four years. And in my opinion, like I said, it's a real return to form for the director. I think it's tense, it's captivating, it's full of compelling drama. Oh, and by the way, I mentioned Colin Farrell's performance in Batman and obviously Banshees of Insurin. Let me just throw this one in there as well. Mm. He's in this movie starring opposite Viggo Mortensen and Joel Edgerton. And I have to say, I feel like 2022 
like if you're just kind of racking up movies per year for Colin Farrell, these three movies couldn't have been any more different to each other, right? And I just feel like he had an incredible, fantastic year as an actor. For me, this week I went with Gerard Carmichael's latest special, Rothaniel. The world got to see Gerard's style of stand-up comedy and how that works at the Golden Globes. But this man's just a master of his craft. He's somebody who's willing to stay in a moment, no matter how challenging or awkward a topic can be, only to come at you with a deceptive slice of comedy that cuts the tension like a samurai. He's an incredible comic who doesn't pretend like he has all the answers, but he's willing to have the discussion to get closer to him. And I, I really think that Gerard is like just at the beginning of this really special run. And and he, if you're just getting introduced to him now, this is a great time to go watch his old stand-up specials. They're absolutely fantastic. And also, go out of your way and watch The Carmichael Show. It's a sitcom he had that was just presented like any other sitcom at like 8.30 on a Tuesday. And uh, it discussed so many topics that are so taboo. And the way they kind of address them and challenge the thought between them and have all these characters that are always disputing each other... It's so much fun and it's so indicative of his style where he just wants to have the conversation about these really difficult things to talk about. And didn't, I don't know if it was his show or his special from like a couple of years ago, but didn't it win an Emmy or a Golden Globe? I'm not even 100% sure. I'm pretty sure they could have actually mentioned that yeah, yeah, yeah. As, a, as a kind of like introduction. I think he he's an award winning. Yeah. Again, I don't know if it's a stand up and I don't know if it's a show, but he actually won awards for his content. Yeah, uh, you did win a primetime Emmy just looking at it now. He won yeah, for uh, Outstanding Writing of a Variety or Comedy Special. I'm guessing it's for this one. Yeah, he won it for last year. So it must have been for Roth Annual. Yeah, there you go absolutely fantastic special and it's funny because if you were a fan of his going into this you by now you already know he's you know he's come out as gay and all that kind of stuff in this special the way he drops the fact that he's gay to the world was brand new in this special he kept it completely under wraps and you basically walk through this with him and he talks about it and how his family's like talking about it and how they have been adjusting to it being defensive of it and the, the, the religious aspect of all this kind of stuff this guy's going through a really hard time of dealing with all this and he's so unapologetic and in the moment uh, of, of this really difficult situation and he just kind of sits with it and you sit with it with him and he goes through it with him and he has like these discussions with the audience it's it's, it's an incredible thing you never really see it in uh in stand-up because it's it's a very unconventional stand-up but guys like him guys like Bo Burnham they're just going to end up being the comedy icons of like the future and we're going to be seeing much more of this dude going forward I, I, I'm, I'm sure of it but he's going to be a fantastic creator and I'm sure he's also uh, venturing into directing so it's just like a good time invest mm. your time into Gerard Carmichael he's going to be like a dude you're going to be watching a lot of but uh, go out of your way at first to watch Roth Annual. Uh, but that's everything for this week. John, where can anybody find us? We are at Screen Off Script on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. We're available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And hey, listen, do us a favor. You got 20 seconds, rate and review us. And hey, maybe just tell us if you disagree or agree with our opinions on movies. We would love to know. Yeah. Uh, so if you can do that for us uh, on these platforms, that would be much appreciated. Awesome. Thank you for checking us out this week, guys. Take care.